Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately 1,000 churches in Kansas and Nebraska. As the title of this podcast suggests, I'm not ordained clergy, so what I share comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 20 years of experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teens to 90-somethings, and I'm excited to share what Scripture has to say to us in today's society, and I love to tell stories of how people live their faith. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes include interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. And other episodes include some short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. This is the final episode in a series of podcasts dedicated first to the seven final sayings of Christ from the cross, and then today we finally get to celebrate the risen Christ. Our special guest once again is Bishop Reuben Sines Jr., the Episcopal leader of the Great Plains Conference. Bishop, welcome back to In Layman's Terms. Good to be here, Todd. Thank you. Bishop, there is a meme that has been prolific on Facebook during Lent that said, this is the Lentinous Lent I've ever Lented. <laughs> uh, this certainly was a different Lenten season, but in what ways was this Lent meaningful for you? Well, I, I could really focus on, on the scriptures for the morning and, and the devotional um, uh, time. I, I was not distracted by driving around the, the conference or living out of a suitcase. And so if we think, if we think about Lent as a time of self-examination, we had a lot of time to, for, for that. So we, we did the uh, Lectio Divina scriptures each morning and, and reflection. I think quite a few folks took part in that. We had a few folks that were very participatory every morning in, in taking part in our Facebook uh, discussion. So we want to thank everyone for that. Bishop, we, we finally have made it past the part of preparation. Jesus has died on the cross in a most gruesome, torturous kind of death. And then we had that Saturday of waiting, like sheltering in place for all of us. That's what the disciples were doing back then. And finally, we're able to stand at the empty tomb. So, Bishop, the resurrection of Jesus is the key moment in our faith history, but can you help us understand why this moment is so important to Christians around the world throughout the millennia? That's a very profound question, Todd. <laughs> How much time do we have? Now, I, to simply put it, Isaiah talks about the disfigured and, and marred face of Christ and and um, and then Christ talks about when you do it to the least of these, you do it unto me. And so when I think about the cross and all those who are still disfigured by by life and by life circumstances, and oftentimes by by things that are completely out of their control, um, there is hope in that the resurrection overcomes that. And so no matter how how difficult or brutal uh, life has been, uh, that doesn't have the last say so over our lives, but the but the resurrection does. And so, the resurrection is a story of hope. It's it's a great story. As I was reflecting on the difference of of the resurrection after the fact. <clears throat> It was about the power of a story that the disciples and all those who carried 
the experience of the resurrected Christ in their hearts, told a story that was better than any other story out there. Other stories were fatalistic and, and determined and closed off. Um, they, were, they were about, you know, the, the end, the, the, the finitude of human life. And when the story of the gospel was was communicated, it it that story was larger than any other human narrative ever heard. And so there was a story, and and all that it said and contained and promised that really got people to turn to Christ, because that was the the grand the the grandest story, the greatest story ever told. And so we have a a hymn that says. I love to tell the story. It'll be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. And I guess the story of the resurrection still continues to inspire people today and lift people up um, spiritually and emotionally and, and mentally and in their lives. So, and, and it's a story that, that transcends nation, ethnicity, language, gender, it's a story for all humanity. And so that's what makes the story of the resurrection so so powerful and and also so specific to every time and place, but at the same time eternally uh, compelling to generations that from the past, that then the present and the future. We're gonna get into the story here a little bit, but I'm gonna give people just a very, very brief 50,000 foot level overview of the difference between the four gospels. So Matthew and Mark each have one angel at the tomb. Uh, Luke and John have two. Matthew and Mark each have the great commission uh, with Matthew having a little bit more detail. Mark and Luke have the Emmaus story, though Luke has a far, far more detailed story about that. Uh, Mark just kind of hints at it. John recounts Mary uh, being the first person to realize what was happening, Mary Magdalene that is. Uh, being the first person to realize what happened and then goes and tells the disciples. And then that's followed by this great story of Peter and John racing to the tomb. John also has the doubting Thomas story that we're familiar with. And Peter is asked uh, to feed Jesus lambs, care for his sheep, and then to feed his sheep. Bishop, is there one of the gospel stories about the resurrection that you enjoy more than another? Or do you take those all together? How do you read this story when you're studying it? Right. Each of the gospel writers has a slightly different account of the resurrection story. One of the things that is common to all of the gospel stories is that women are the first ones to get to the tomb. And so this is important because in, in those days, women were not credible witnesses. Okay? Right. And so, you know, but yet, if you have the gospel writers saying, well, you know, we, we, could, we could make this story stronger if we had men find, you know, discovering that there was no body in the tomb. But they said, no, this is how it actually happened. There's, the women were the first ones to the tomb, and the women were the first ones that were notified that Jesus was risen from the, the grave. And so... That, that commonality really speaks to 
the truth of, of the story because it would be it would be very risky from a literary point, you know, to have the, the heroine to be a woman in those right. days. Well, and, and even when you look at Mark, so there, there are two endings to Mark. There's the first ending that, that happened before, basically, it's, I think it's verse eight is where it ends. Uh, and then there's more added after that. And, and most Bibles reflect that, that the, the second ending was added later. But they did yeah, not because, because the first ending didn't end too well. Didn't end too well. No, it says that they went <laughs> off afraid and they didn't say anything to anybody. That's, that's right. and, and clearly that's not what happened. Clearly they did go and tell other people about what had happened. But they went back and revised, even Mark, they revised the ending, but they did not change that it was women who noticed this first. And so exactly. clearly that had to be what happened. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's a commonality. And of course, as you mentioned, you know, so scholars believe that Mark was written first, like 20 years after, after because, because in that time, they, they had the oral tradition. I mean, stories got told, right? From, from one group to another. But eventually, you know, with the, with the delay of the, par the second coming, because that was a whole idea, you know, when is Christ going to return again? And there was this, this sense that why write anything down if the second coming of Christ is so eminent until, you know, the delay started to happen and it wasn't going to be as near as they thought. So, so we better start writing this down. So Mark was the first one to write things down. And, and then the scholars believe that then Matthew took Mark and added his material. Then, then Luke took Mark and a little bit of Matthew and added his material. Of course, Luke was looking, was writing to a Gentile audience. So Luke always has doublets. It has men and women, you know, together. Mm -hmm. uh, Luke also has, you know, not some type of spiritual poverty, but the poor, real poor people. Right. Um, as Matthew kind of spiritualizes poverty, Luke is concrete about the poverty. And then John is writing towards, you know, a Jewish Christian community that uh, that he is a leader of, and and so, and so he's he's uh, he's he's writing about this way of knowing and believing, uh, so that one comes into the light and right. and believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. Yeah, sometimes and people so, don't understand that the gospel writers had a purpose; they had an audience that they were aiming these toward. Right. And so that's why they have certain details that are pointed out in one gospel that you may not see in another. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all what we call synoptics because Mark is the source material, a lot of scholars exactly. believe, for Matthew and Luke. But John just kind of comes out of, <laughs> just kind of doesn't come out of nowhere, but comes out of a totally different angle because his audience was so different compared to what the other three. So again, the reason we bring that up is I wanted to point out for people, here's why these gospel stories are different when it comes to the resurrection, but they have two, in my mind, they have two real important commonalities. You pointed out one, which is, of course, that the women were the one who found that the tomb was empty, but one thing that's common through all four of these, and the reason that we celebrate Easter is because they also all involve Jesus being alive. Uh, he's resurrected, and Jesus is now on the throne, and those are commonalities throughout all four of those Gospels, and that's what we really need to focus on. Yeah. If something happens, and you, and you ask four people, tell me what happened. Well, each one of them is standing in a different, you know, uh, place looking at a, an accident or an event from their perspective. And so they will tell you what they saw. It's not that it's false. It, the event happened. But it's how they interpret the event and the details that they remember of it that then that then get told. 
But if you compare all the witnesses, they corroborate with each other that something did happen. Right. And these women were the first ones there. And the body has never been produced. And that event transformed, you know, a, a group of disciples who are fearing for their lives into very bold uh, evangelists that went out through all the world to tell the whole world about about the resurrection and and the, and the life that Christ came to give. You know, as, as Paul, as uh, as uh, Peter tells Cornelius, this Jesus went around the villages doing good, healing the sick, and and casting out demons and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And and so that was the story. <laughs> and so and so when people think about, well, why would these People go out there, risk their lives, and go beyond themselves, go out to the edge of, of what they were comfortable with, into a very unknown world to proclaim this good news. Something happened because well, we they were think, convinced. <laughs> right. Well, we think about how inconvenienced our lives have been these last few weeks because yeah. of shelter in place. And, and inconvenience is, is, is probably too small of a word because there are people who have lost their jobs. Obviously, there are yes. people who have lost their lives. Yes. And so, I mean, not to downplay it at all, but when we think about, for most of us, this has been an inconvenience. But think about what life was like in the first century. If you were a follower of Christ, you were an enemy of the state. That's uh, right. And, and you were an enemy of the Jewish leadership. So you had no alliances other than your own core group of believers like yourselves. And so you're, you're stuck in a situation where there's nothing to give you much hope back in this day and age other than Christ rose. And because he rose from the grave, now you have hope, not just for your life today, but there's something after this uh, that's even more glorious and even more, uh, uh, more peaceful. And you know, whatever your vision of, of a heaven is, this gives you that hope where there was not a whole lot in that day and age under Roman rule. This kind of something to think about. Yeah, and it also freed people from, from their fear. I mean, because in those days, as you're saying, people were, were afraid. They lived in, in fear and terror from the state because you know, of, of the brutality of, of the Roman government. But this, this gave them a sense of freedom that they, they realized, well, even if you, you, you can't kill me. That's why when Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, and the life I live, I, I no longer live on my own, but I live it by faith in Jesus Christ who, who gave himself up for me. So Paul, Paul thought of himself as a crucified person. But see, and, and so crucifixion means that, that, you, that it, it is the extinguishing of one's passion. You, whatever, whatever life force you have, crucifixion was meant to destroy it and kill it. So on one hand, when we're crucified with Christ, we die to self, right? And then Jesus says, whoever dies to self, denies himself, will, will, will find their life. And so people found their, their, their true life, which was Christ. And, and therefore, I mean, look, no, nobody wants to die. No, nobody wants to you know, feign death, but at the same time, to live, to live with a fear of, of dying, um, is no way to live. I mean, you're just, you're just existing, but to live with a hope that death 
you know, can never separate us from the love of God, no matter how it, it, it meets us or how we meet it, is very, is very freeing. And as a matter of fact, that good news spread not to the wealthy. It didn't go up to the, to the seats of power. It spread among the slaves. Right. And it spread among the women. And it spread among the children. And it spread among the poor. And it spread among all the people that were under the belly of society. Because to them, that gave them hope. In fact, Paul had to come back around and, and, and reorganize the, the order of the family. He says, okay, uh, you know, uh, women, be careful that, that you don't stand out too much or, or slaves. Or, I mean, it, it's a, it was a different world. But, but this gospel really empowered the people on on the on the bottom social hierarchy on the bottom of social hierarchies, and it really created an upheaval in in uh, in Roman society, where these folks were on the margins. All of a sudden, they felt in Christ that they were that they were seated with Christ as well. So this whole idea now you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies and things like that. Well, imagine if your life is one of subservience, and all of a sudden. You're told that you're now seated with Christ in the heavenlies where Christ rules and where Christ has subordinated every dominion under his feet. And you're, and you're on that side. In a world where you're under everybody else's foot and in a world where your life has no meaning or value, all of a sudden, you're worthy. And Christ and, and God cares about every single hair on your head. And, you know, and, and you're... you're if Christ cares about the sparrows, how much more will he care for you? And it's just this whole thing about the humanization of, of the person that is, is beautiful, but at the same time, it really disrupted. <laughs> it really disrupted society. So Mary's Magnificat, right? He has exalted the poor and he has sent away the rich hungry. Like that's not good news for those that are in power, but it is good news to the poor. And to the masses, and so the resurrection, really, uh, you know, was, was had the seeds in it for a total, you know, re recreation and reordering of society. Now, eventually, the powerful got hold of it, and then, and then it it, it becomes another tool to 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 keep the masses. But but in 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 its raw in its raw potency. That's just some dangerous stuff. <laughs> right. And that's what scared people about it, you know? We do a lot of stuff during Lent to try to basically bolster our, uh, our, our spiritual lives. And then Easter comes, and sometimes we let that wane a little bit. Uh, why don't we close today with just some ideas of what can people do to make sure that they don't let this idea, this concept of what they did during Lent of Bible study and reflection, how can they avoid slipping off of that that nice pattern or habit maybe they've set for themselves since they started their Lenten journey? I, I look at, at Lent as a, as a discipline, as a spiritual discipline. And it's not something that you turn on and off. It is, it is, a, it is a lifestyle. It is a way that we live. It's a way that we order our lives. Um, and, you know, for example, I, I exercise in the mornings. Uh, I and normally I try to get at least twenty minutes at the very least. If I'm on a tight schedule, sometimes thirty, 
But that means that I've got to get up sometimes. I got up this morning at uh, 4.20 this morning so that I could do my devotional and I could exercise and get ready for the day. But, but I have to be very intentional about finding time for, for my own physical fitness because that's important to me, especially at as, as, as my age. But, but sometimes I'll find myself exercising when I just don't feel like it. I'm tired. I mean, I don't. I don't feel like doing push-ups. I don't feel like doing forty, a thirty-minute ride, hard ride on, on a spin bike. I don't feel like running two, three miles on a treadmill. I don't. I don't feel like lifting weights, but I do it anyway, whether I, I feel like it or not, because I realize that that the that the accumulative effect of that over time, you know reaps benefits and and of course together with that is I, I try to watch my nutrition but the same thing is happening with my spiritual life right I, if I go on a Sunday to Sunday spiritual you know diet where I don't really pay attention to my spiritual life but once a week or whenever I'm at a building in church then then my my, my spiritual vitality begins to wane and believe me, some mornings I, you know, it, it's hard to to start praying and, and reflecting. Uh, but over time, it, it's just a built-in habit. And and what happens is that when an, uh, a difficult life event happens in your in your life, you find out that you've been building a strong foundation that is that is able to help you sustain, you know, the trauma, the impact of of life's difficulties, uh, however, however, diff however harsh they are, and my concern is that that people are sometimes unprepared to deal with life's difficulties because they have they have not spent enough time developing the foundation upon that'll that'll uh, that'll anchor them uh, in those difficult moments. Now, at the same time. The grace of God is amazing, and the grace of God can strengthen a person. But for me, you know, I'm I kind of just chip away at it every day, whether it's Lent or June the 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 seventeenth or August the ninth. It doesn't really matter. It's just part of my own investment in my relationship with Christ, which then eventually, you know, well, and prayerfully expresses itself in how I do life. And so I, I can't imagine life apart from that. It keeps me, you know, connected to the source of life, which is Jesus Christ. And so it makes it makes life not easier, but certainly more meaningful and um, and certainly more hopeful, at least for me. Thank you very much for those words and that advice, Bishop. Yeah. Well, that, uh, that concludes our time here. We, this has been fun. We've done uh, seven episodes here on the seven final sayings of Christ and then this discussion about Easter. Appreciate you spending your time with us. For those of you who are regular listeners, next week we start a new uh, kind of a little mini-series. We're going to be talking to pastors throughout the Great Plains and a few lay people along the way who are just trying experimenting some new things in this time of uh, uh, sheltering in place. We've got one pastor who had never done anything live before that all of a sudden has become a broadcaster. And then we have another pastor who uh, wanted to get more people involved with uh, the worship service online. So had a bunch of people record different parts of the worship service. And then she 
wove them together for videos uh, for Houston worship. So we're going to share those kinds of stories and more over the next few weeks here on In Layman's Terms. So until then, God bless you all in your ministries, wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Have a great week. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifer. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find us. And please, if you feel so inclined, share us on Facebook or other social media. Our music comes via a licensed subscription with FirstCom Music. You can find archived podcasts on my website, toddseifert.com, or via a link on the conference website, greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. Feel free to email me any questions or suggestions to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org, and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.